0: During this Easter season, we have turned to John to tell us the stories that he knew about Jesus' interaction with people during the 40 days he lingered on earth after his resurrection and before ascending to God. We have considered his interaction with Mary Magdalene and the 10 disciples locked in a room for fear of the Jews. And this morning, we come to the story of a man the Christian church has come to love. To Thomas, aka Thomas the Doubter. He's called the Doubter because that's what he is best known for. He doubted, he was suspicious and skeptical of even the other apostles. And after John tells the story of Jesus' appearance to the 10 disciples, he mentions in verse 24 that for some reason, Thomas was not with them, he did not see or hear Jesus as they had. He missed Jesus' show and tell when the scars in his hands and side were set before the apostles as proof of his bodily resurrection. All Thomas had was the word of the apostles to go on. And they told him in verse 25, We've seen the Lord. In many ways, Thomas was in the position we are in today. And so John actually invites us to see ourselves in Thomas. We missed the show and tell too. We have not and will not see Jesus in the flesh, not yet at least. All we have, like Thomas, are the stories of the apostles and prophets recorded for us in this book in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, this book tells the story of how God is redeeming his once good but now broken creation through the incarnation, death, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the eternal son of god become like one of us from cover to cover it is calling us to believe to put our faith and hope in the person of Jesus Christ alone but that isn't always easy especially when we've never seen him or heard his voice even we have strong evidence to believe that Jesus of Nazareth existed and truly was a historical person. No one doubts that. Even atheists and agnostics acknowledge that as a fact. But that he was God in the flesh, and that he not only died, but that he was raised from the dead, that is difficult. And that is the point of contention and the source of much doubt in us. And Thomas gives voice to our struggles when he responds to the apostles' report that they had seen the Lord with a refusal to believe based on their report alone. It was insufficient evidence for him. No, Thomas tells them in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. He doubted. He had trouble believing what the apostles said was true. If he were alive today, his doubt might have been expressed with the often repeated claim that the Bible can't be believed because it was written by faulty men. Thomas would have fit right in with us. He is a man for us. The thing that Thomas received that we haven't, though, is a physical visit from Jesus to dispel his doubts. Verse 26 sets the scene for that visit, and the setting was almost identical to the time when Jesus visited the 10. It was a Sunday again. The disciples were inside, the doors were locked, and suddenly Jesus came and stood among them. At the outset, the similarities between the two stories tips us off to the fact that Jesus had come to see Thomas. Yes, the other 10 were present, but he'd seen them already the only difference between the two stories even between how the two stories are told was thomas jesus chose to visit them when thomas was present and his actions confirm this he spoke the customary greeting of peace be with you and in verse 20 and in verse 26 he then turns his attention squarely on thomas in verse 27 Before Thomas can even repeat his demand for proof, Jesus has graciously taken his hand and is guiding his fingertips over the scars on his wrists and side. And while the rough skin is still registering in the nerves on Thomas' fingertips, Jesus whispers into his ear in that intimate moment, do not disbelieve, but believe. And in this moment, we applaud Thomas because we see his doubt being rewarded with proof. And we feel that the end has justified the means. The story of Thomas has become evidence for us that religious doubts are virtue. And we therefore consider ourselves justified and likewise refusing to believe because the Bible has not met our standard for the burden of proof, which has been restricted to individual judgment of the fact. It was the same standard that Thomas expresses in his statement that he wouldn't believe unless he could put his hands on the scars and determine whether or not this was really Jesus for himself. We read Jesus's gracious actions in appearing to Thomas and showing him his hands and side as a benediction, a blessing spoken over a posture of religious doubt. But this is a misread of the text. It's a conclusion that would be accurate only if verse 29 did not exist. Because in verse 29, Jesus does not express approval of Thomas's doubt, but rather confusion that Thomas so confidently trusts himself and his senses alone that he would doubt the testimony of even the ten apostles. He asks Thomas a rhetorical question that is filled with wonder at Thomas's arrogance. Have you believed because you've seen me? You trust your own two eyes more than the eyes of the apostles? Who made you the final arbiter of truth? Jesus actually disapproves of the doubt in Thomas that is loved and celebrated. Therefore, the story of Jesus' appearance to Thomas and his invitation to touch his hands inside is actually more about the immense grace of Jesus Christ in the face of our doubt than it is about the virtues of religious doubt. Jesus makes himself known to us despite our resistance and the elevation of our own minds above any authority or guide outside of ourselves. The story of Thomas the doubter is first and foremost a story of the grace of Jesus Christ. And not only does he express confusion at Thomas's posture of doubt, but he actually endorses a posture of belief apart from sight, what is often denigrated with the label of blind faith or naivety. In verse 29, Jesus tells Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. To be clear, Jesus is not demanding that his followers ask no questions. That isn't what he's saying at all. What he is puzzled by in Thomas, and all who herald Thomas for his doubt, is the demand that all questions be answered prior to belief, and that we alone can serve as the sole determiners of truth. What Jesus is looking for is what St. Augustine called faith-seeking understanding. He blesses those who pursue knowledge from a heart of faith. And he's confused by those who insist upon remaining at a distance until all of their doubts are overcome. And so they can be absolutely certain of the truth. Jesus' confusion over this posture of distant doubt that is often celebrated is because that's not how knowing anything or coming to know anything actually works. All knowledge, whether it be religious or Historical, scientific, mathematic, mundane, whatever it is, all knowledge begins with an act of faith that is either confirmed or proven untrue by the fruit it produces. The dichotomy between faith and reason is a false one. All knowing begins with faith, and all knowing begins with love. Thomas has reversed the process of knowledge, and Jesus is scratching his head at him. He's telling Thomas that knowing doesn't work that way, and he's inviting us to not repeat Thomas's error. One scholar observes that Thomas is the foil by which John calls his readers, you and me, to a faith deeper than the initial resurrection faith of any of the 12 disciples. It wasn't just Thomas, but all of the remaining 11 possessed the need for proof prior to belief. And Jesus in his immense grace gave it to them, but it was an act of mercy and not a blessing over this posture of doubt. You don't come to know anything by demanding all the information up front. That's not possible. You come to know by beginning to walk and having your initial faith confirmed or proven wrong. That's how knowing works. And even more specifically, you come to know by walking behind an authority who shows you the way. I mean, think of any activity you've learned. Quilting, hitting a baseball, singing, reading even. Every one of them involved some guide who was showing you the way, even if that guide was a textbook or a YouTube video. Authorities are necessary for all-knowing. But we in the modern Western world have become suspicious of authorities outside of ourselves. We consider any claim to authority as a grab for power, manipulation. And so we are always searching for, even falsely creating, ulterior motives in authorities. We're like Thomas, who responds to the testimony of the Ten by declaring that he will only believe if he can be the judge. What reason did he have to distrust the Ten Apostles? and yet he refused to take them at their word. That's why we love him. The philosopher Esther Meek writes in her book, Longing to Know, that knowing involves trusting ourselves to authorities. It's not as if we can set ourselves up as an ultimate authority. We get a lot of things right only as we let others stand in judgment upon our own perceptions. We are always personally engaged but never personally ultimate. Or if we are, we incur stupidity. And she's exactly right. Setting yourself up as the ultimate authority is to court stupidity. It's to increase your chances of looking like a fool. And there are all sorts of examples in this life where this is obviously true. One obvious example is the young person entering into her teenage years where whose older brother tells her of the the regrets he has over the way he acted in high school. He's acting as an authority, a guide outside of her. And if she were to ignore him in order to figure things out on her own, we would say that she has made a foolish decision. She's not acting wisely. But if she listens to this repentant brother of hers and decides to do things differently than he did, then we would consider her wise and and mature for her age for having listened to him and adjusted her behavior accordingly. And perhaps that's a a trite example. But it's not hard to think of all sorts of situations. Parenting, dating, starting a new job, learning a new city. I mean, the examples go on and on. Where listening to an authority or guide outside of yourself is an intelligent and reasonable thing to do. But when it comes to religious belief, particularly when it comes to taking the Bible seriously, it's curiously labeled blind and naive. It is an inconsistency that betrays our our cultural bent against religious faith. And Thomas is the chosen flag bearer because he rejected the word of the apostles and is supposedly rewarded for his doubts. But if you include verse 29 in the story, Thomas and his doubts do not come out looking so exemplary Jesus is scratching his head at him. It's just not how knowing works. And he's actually commending those who act the opposite. The story of Thomas the Doubter is ultimately a story about the grace of Jesus Christ in the face of our doubts. And it is an invitation to learn from Thomas and to believe the apostles this time that they really did see and hear and touch Jesus Christ the Son of God incarnate, risen from the dead. This is, after all, the explicitly stated purpose for which John wrote his gospel. He says so in verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John left out other stories about Jesus, but decided to include the story of Thomas, not to encourage doubt in your hearts and minds, but to encourage the pursuit of a gracious God from a posture of faith, so that your faith might be confirmed as you walk after him and follow him. And I understand there are all sorts of theories about how the apostles fabricated the resurrection in order to save faith and consolidate their power in the ancient world. I understand there's all sorts of theories about why we shouldn't trust the apostles or the Bible. There are all sorts of reasons people are suspicious of the apostles as Thomas was. But let me ask one obvious question. If you're making up a story intended to make yourself look good, would you ever in a million years allow yourself to be the foil whose failure is the cautionary tale for the reader? You would only allow this to be written about yourself if it was true, and you were more interested in how Jesus comes off in the story than about how you appear, because Jesus comes out looking pretty good. He looks like a person, a God even, worth following, and let me tell you that if you follow him, the world around you and even yourself will begin to come into greater focus, will begin to make sense. That's how you know you found the truth. The entire world was created through him, and he has given us the words of the apostles and prophets recorded for us in scripture in order that we might have life, not only in this world, but in the world to come. May you follow him in faith, and in following him, come to know the truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.